you would remain standing, the chorus of that song really could be the title to John's gospel. Just looking beginning to end, kind of where we are right now in the, in the text. Amazing love. And then it should come with a question. How, how can this be? That I would be this love that my Savior, the Lord, the creator of all things would, would die for me. It's an amazing reality. With that in mind, we're in John chapter 19. Continuing our study, we'll pick up in verse 16, which we read last week and read down through 27. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather, This man said, I am King of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it will be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his, bro- his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. Lord, we need eyes to see and ears to hear the wonderful news of your gospel, what you have done. To see this amazing love, would you... Be at work by the power of your spirit. Would you be our teacher this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Behold the man. Look at this sinless, spotless, silent land of God. Last week, behold your king. That's where we left off last week. Look, look at Jesus. Look at him mocked, dressed like a clown king. 
crown of thorns wrapped in royal robes. John wants us to, to look with, with eyes that have the ability to, to truly see who this is. You've heard the expression, the devil's in the details. Have you ever heard that? My grandmother used to say that all the time. I think this text kind of reverses that. I think actually John is giving the glory of God in the details. I think we're meant to to pay close attention to all of these things around the crucifixion to see the glory of Jesus. John gives us several details. He gives some of the same ones as the other gospel writers, but he gives us some different ones as well. He, he differs a bit from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He tells us about the inscription on the sign, but then John goes on to tell us that there's actually some pushback to this inscription that Pilate puts on the cross. He flags us to the fulfillment of Scripture We left off last week. Jesus had been mocked and flogged. And we're meant to see the the king of glory bruised and bloodied, now crucified. Pilate was in a difficult place. You remember three times he affirmed that Jesus is innocent. He sits as judge and he keeps hearing all the testimony and he keeps talking to Jesus. And he's like, look, guys, I can't find anything wrong with him three times. However, the chief priests in the crowds insist he's guilty. He's committed sedition. He's claimed to be king. So they put Pilate in this bad situation. We deliver that we hear in verse 16. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. John or any of the gospel writers really spend a long time talking about crucifixion. Have you ever wondered why that is? Listen, they had all seen this process. This wasn't a nice, clean thing that you just wanted to write about. Yay, it's so great. I'm just going to write a long description so you understand plainly what's going on. No, none of them want to do that. They understand the realities of crucifixion. This was, this wouldn't have been applied to Roman citizens. It's so, it's such a terrible death that it's reserved for the the outsider, the slave, the political dissident, disgraced soldiers. They would take the condemned, as we said last week, they would flog them. Severely beat them, and this was designed to to weaken them so that they would not resist the horrors of crucifixion. After this flogging, the the beating, they they would then lay the beam on the person's back who was being executed. This was a large piece of wood that would form the horizontal bar of the cross. They would carry this usually. For shame, they would carry it the longest route possible, the one to parade them by the most people possible. Everybody can look and see. 
They would lead them to the place of execution. They would either already be stripped or when they get to the place of execution, they would then be stripped and made to lie on their back and have their arms stretched out on this horizontal beam. And then their arms would be attached to that beam. We know in the case of Jesus, they drove nails to do this. Sometimes if they didn't have nails, they, they were really good at death. They would just tie the hands to the beams. It would have the same effect. Once they were secured, that bar would be raised up onto the vertical beam that's already in place. Sometimes a support would be added. This is really sadistic. Sometimes a support would be added either to the feet or to the back. This is not to help the condemned. This is actually to prolong their suffering and prolong their life. The longer they can push up and they're able to to breathe, the longer they can live. Death on a cross was horrifying. It took place in several different ways, sometimes shock and the heart would stop, sometimes blood loss. But it's designed to kill by asphyxiating the the victim. They they can't breathe. They can't get air. So after hours and hours and hours, sometimes days, you slowly die. I want us to spend the rest of our time together looking closely at some details that John gives us in the crucifixion. The first is out. The next is signs, clothes, and care. These are the details that I I feel like John wants us to to really see and in them see the glory of God. Look again at 16 and 17. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Then my ESV places a superscription, which isn't in the text, says the crucifixion that's there. They took Jesus and he went out. It's kind of a a weird and clunky way that it reads in the ESV. Here's how the flow should actually go. It It should go like this. So he delivered him over to be crucified. So they took Jesus, period. New sentence. And he went out. Bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull. I think John is being very intentional, saying he went out. I think he's flagging us to something really important, and it's this. Jesus is still in control. He's still in control. John has been telling telling us this all along. He's still in control, and he wants us to see that Jesus is willingly going out. Though he didn't have to. But how are we to understand this going out? Leviticus 16, 27 says this. And the bull for the sin offering. And and the goat for the sin offering. Whose blood was brought in to make atonement. in the holy place shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. These animals that. Their, their blood is spilled to make atonement for the sin of the people. Their bodies are taken outside the camp. 
Deuteronomy 21, his corpse must not remain all night upon a tree. You shall bury him that same day for anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. You must not defile the land that the Lord your God is giving you for a possession. Like, wow, these brutal Old Testament texts. I think this is why Jesus is leaving the camp. Listen, he did not deserve to go out. We have, to, we have to see this, to see the glory of it. He, we deserve this punishment. We deserve to be kicked out of the camp. We deserve to be a curse. We deserve to be hung on this Roman gibbet. It's, and here's Jesus, the Lord, taking it for us. He went out. He went out for us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, as it is written, curses everyone who is hanged on a tree. Paul says, for our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. This is exactly what John is showing us. He knew no sin. He is going out with this cross beam on his back, stripped naked, nailed to the cross for us. He went out. Hebrews 13. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go with him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Like Jesus, we are reminded that we are not insiders in this world. Christians, the church is not the in crowd. To follow Christ in his footsteps means we are outsiders and should not expect the world to get it just as they did not get Jesus. They often will get us, seldom will get us. This world, Louisiana, Shreveport, Bossier, it's not our eternal home. Let us go with Jesus outside the, the camp. We, we, all, we all long for a city whose architect and builder is God. We read that they take Jesus to the place of the skull, the Golgotha in Hebrew and Aramaic. It's also known as Calvary, which, which also means skull. Why does John give us the place, but also give us the, that it's a skull? I think there's another tiny detail here. Do you, do you remember when God leveled the curse way back in Genesis chapter 3? Man had sinned. And God was leveling a curse, and there he said that the seed of the woman would crush what? The head of the serpent. Here they're leading Jesus to the place of a skull, and on that place he he will crush the head of the serpent. That's what's going on. John wants us to know that this moment, as terrible as it looks, Jesus is actually winning. This is glory. The head of the serpent, evil itself, is being crushed at this place of a skull. 
Verse 18 says, there they crucified him and with two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. All four Gospels record this detail that he's crucified between two criminals. Luke tells us that in his account that one of them actually repents. Jesus promises this criminal there on the cross that you will be with me in paradise. Why do they all include this detail? Isaiah 53 12 saw this coming. Therefore, I will divide with him a portion of the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and listen to this, and was numbered with the transgressors. He is dying like a common criminal. He was numbered, though he had done nothing wrong, perfectly righteous. He he was numbered with a common criminal. He went out outside the camp because of our sin. He did not, he did not have any sin. He went out for us. He didn't deserve to die. This leads to our next detail that John gives us, and that is the sign. Look at 19 through 22 again. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, And in Greek, several things are interesting here. It's common to to post um, on the cross what the person had done, which makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, if you're walking by and you see someone receiving this sentence and you read, oh, they tried to lead a riot. I guess I better not try to lead a riot in the city because this is what they do to those guys. Would have been very common and they did it right by the gate so that everybody could pass in and out and see the death sentence being carried out. Here's what's interesting. John tells us that Pilate makes this sign. It's very interesting. Pilate wanted, normally this would have been something for the soldiers to do. Like they can handle stuff like that. No, Pilate was very specific Again, remember, three times he pronounced Jesus innocent. He's like, let me write the sign. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Very specific. The chief priests and crowds come to Pilate like, hang on a minute. Wait a minute, don't do that. And listen, Pilate is getting his revenge. Pilate is getting his revenge. Like, you want me to kill him because... He claims to be king, and I think he's innocent. I'm just simply putting king of the Jews there in three languages. Aramaic, the language of Israel, of Jerusalem. Latin, the language of Rome. Greek, the common tongue of commerce through the whole empire. Every possible region the whole world passing by in this packed city, reading this missionary message. Think of the irony of this. Now, Pilate did not believe that Jesus is king, but he he writes this inscription, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. John is saying, do you have eyes to see? 
Pilate probably did one of the first missionary acts ever, right here. John has been bringing up this theme of Jesus' kingship for the last two chapters. Earlier we saw Pilate say, should we crucify your king? Here every known language in this region, here's your king right here. You see the upside down nature that John wants us to truly see our king. Behold our king. Here is everyone's king. Yes, he is the true king of Israel, the true king of Rome, the true king of this whole area, the, the, the true king of the United States. Behold your king. Thailand, Slovakia, England, everywhere that we have been a part of Grace Presbyterian Church, seeing the gospel go out, this is what it's about right here. Behold your king. Why does John include all this detail, including this backlash? He wants us to see a distinct connection between the cross of Christ and the glory of God going out into all the nations. He wants us to see it. This is what is glorious right here. This cross, this king dying. This is what will transform every nation, tongue, and tribe in the whole world. Spurgeon says this, quote, If you would have Jesus to be your Savior, you must have him as your king. You must submit to his government, for he claims the right to rule over all who acknowledge him to be Jesus. Yes, more than that, he claims to rule all of mankind, for all power is given, into, given unto him in heaven and in earth. We are all bidden to proclaim his kingdom throughout the world. There's a great application for us, Grace Presbyterian Church. We are supposed to be like this sign. We're supposed to act like this sign. Nailed to a bloody cross. Here is your king. So will we, will we be this witness to our family, to our neighbors? To our city? Are we going to act like this sign? Go into all the world. You could frame the whole Great Commission around this sign. Go into all the world and tell the world of Jesus of Nazareth, the King. John saw this with his own eyes, and later John is going to see another revelation. Let me read this to you. This is Revelation chapter 7. After this, I looked. And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This message that is being announced in all these languages, John sees it right there at the cross, and then later, he's got to be thinking about this sign later when he sees every nation, tongue, and tribe gathered together worshiping the Lamb. He's got, like, what an amazing reality. This truth has gone, it, it has exploded out into the world. This leads to our third detail that John highlights for us, and that is clothes. Kind of an odd thing. 
Usually an execution squad like this was made up of four soldiers who were actually really good at doing this gruesome job. They all knew that they were allowed to keep their victims' personal possessions. That's one of the perks is you strip someone down, you take everything from them, and you get to keep it. Look at 23 and 24 again. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. They said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it will be. John has given us an up-close look at clothes before. Remember when Jesus washed the disciples' feet? That he takes off his outer garments and then wraps himself with a towel, basically the clothes of a slave. Whenever he zeroes in on something like this, you have to wonder why. Why is he zeroing in on clothes? There he was telling us, look, Jesus came to be a servant. What do these clothes teach? We referenced it earlier that... Crucifixion involved stripping. Remember, remember what happened in the garden? Because of sin, do you remember what went on there? It says their eyes were opened and they realized what? They realized they were naked. They had to quickly sew together some fig leaves to make themselves clothes. Here, the the second Adam is taken out outside the camp and has his clothes removed. Here, Jesus, our Lord, our King, is bearing the curse that we deserve. He is bearing the shame that we deserve. Jesus came to identify with sinners. He has no sin He had no reason to feel shame, but listen, because this happened, Jesus, our great high priest, knows what it is to feel shame. Your great high priest has gone before you. And I don't know the shame that you have endured in your life, but I know that all of us have. All of us have experienced shame. Look at him. Look at your great high priest who has gone before you in all things, including shame. Calvin says this, and I love it. Christ was stripped of his garments that he might clothe us with righteousness. That his naked body was exposed to the insults of men that we may appear in glory before the judgment seat of God. It's a huge reversal. All this was pre-planned. Notice what John says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots so that the soldiers did these things. The quotation is from our Old Testament lesson, Psalm 22. It's almost like John is writing this whole account, as, and he's framing it all in the context of Psalm 22. But John also zeroes in on this one piece of clothing. He even talks about its, its weave, how it's constructed, seamless, woven top to bottom. Why is he giving us these details? 
As one commentator says this, I'm going to read this to you, just listen. While it might be suggested that there is no symbolic significance to the tunic, the textual details suggest otherwise because the narrator not only mentions the seamless garment, but also makes reference to its weave woven in one piece, top to bottom. And its construction that practically demands something significant belongs to the depiction of the tunic itself. I couldn't agree more. I'm reading along and it it captured me. What is going on here? The only other place this kind of weave word is used is in a Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. And it comes out of this Exodus 28, where God is giving instructions for the garments of the priests. It says this, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat with checker work, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, to serve me as priest. The word, the term is found right in that text. The way they build it. And listen, John has been asking the question all along, who is the high priest? Annas is the high priest. Caiaphas is the high priest. Here, here, the chief priests keep being talked about. Listen, there's only one. And I think right here at the cross, he's answering the question. Here's your priest. Here's your priest. See his garment. Look at it. They're stripping him of it, but they're, they're, they're not ripping it apart. Which is another fascinating detail because that also is in the law. It is, this garment is not to be ripped Why not just tear it up into parts because it belongs to the high priest? John is saying, here's your true high priest. See the detail. This leads us to the last detail that we'll see in its care. Jesus loved his mother. Parents are going to love this part. Jesus loved his mom. And he was taking care of her. John zooms into this part on the cross, standing by the cross of Jesus, where his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw the woman, saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour on, the disciple took her to his own home. Jesus focuses on the women present. Listen, sometimes I hear critics of Scripture just really condemn the ways that women are treated in Scripture. They must not be reading the same Bible that I read. They're not taking a back seat. Of all the people that he could tell us are standing around the cross, three of them are women. And then who's going to be present in the resurrection. So John has invited us to view Jesus as big as we possibly can. 
He's the creator of the world. He is the sustainer of all things. He is here on the cross to accomplish redemption for his people. And in this high and holy and terrible moment, he is caring for his mom. He also wants us to see that he, he wants us to have a bit of a microscope and see how Jesus loved others, caring for his mother while on the cross, agonizing for breath. He sees his mother and he loves her. Woman, behold your son. Looking at John, the disciple he loved, look at your mother. John wants us to see that the king of the cosmos, the eternally existent son, loved his mom. Even agonizing on the cross, Jesus cared for the vulnerable. He's making sure that she will be taken care of in light of his death. And here's the application. The cosmic king didn't just come to die to save the whole church. He, he did that, certainly. He, he, came, he came to save you. This cosmic king knows your name. If you are a believer in him, he, he cares for you. Yes, we are part of a whole. Yes, the, the church in a, in, in a beautiful way is universal. But sometimes I, I think we don't realize that he, he knows my name. He cares for me. This is a place, I think, for worship. Dying for the sin of the world. John tells us plainly here at the end, he, he's a man. He's a person who had feelings with Obligations. He was ensuring that his mom would be cared for after his death. Sometimes I think we feel like the fifth commandment is just kind of a, a byline. Like if you, get, if you get the first two, you'll be okay to dishonor your parents. Look at Jesus here. Even in death. Keeping his own law. Look here at the righteousness of Christ. Joseph is likely dead and has been dead for a while. John wants us to see that even dying, Jesus is fully obedient. Have you seen glory in these details? He went out of the camp for us though he did not deserve it. He went out and died a cursed death for sinners like you and me. This sign proclaimed it in every language that it could. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. The detail of his clothes that though he should be clothed in royal splendor, he was stripped and received the curse of the fall for us. And even in death, our cosmic king cared for his mom. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, your word. We're astonished at the cruelty and gore and death of you, Christ, our king. But we also see 
glory in all of it. That you have done for us what we could not do for ourselves. That you have died this agonizing death in our place. Lord, again, we pray that you would shape and mold us in this reality, in the reality of your gospel. May we believe with hearts of faith. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.